Hello and welcome to Dick's Picks. I am Carter and with me is Mr. Dick. And this month we will Hello. be doing something a little bit different than the previous editions of Dick's Picks. As instead of oh, no. Mr. Dick picking the selection of the month, it is going to be Carter's Picks. As I have chosen a movie for Mr. Dick to watch that he has not seen. So for this inaugural Carter's edition, Picks just doesn't roll off the tongue as well though. <laughs> it does not, which is why it'll be... Not as uh, often featured, but we are looking back at Jacques Demy's The Umbrellas of Cherbourg from the year 1964. Uh, I get why it's named that, but it. I thought it could have been if you if you watch the opening sequence, I thought it would have been better named The Bikes of Cherbourg or maybe like Scooby Doo Mystery uh, Town Square of Cherbourg or something. The Rain was, of Cherbourg. Umbrellas make sense. The Rain of Cherbourg, The Snow of Cherbourg, many, many title options. Uh, starring Catherine Deneuve, Anne Vernon, Nino Ooh. Castelnuovo, released February 19th, 1964, 55 years ago this past year. Winner of the Palme d'Or at the 1964 Cannes Film Festival. A Rotten Tomatoes score of 98, can you believe that? Yeah, sure. Mainly because of Catherine Deneuve. She, uh, her mom said she was no beauty queen, but I disagree. <laughs> I couldn't find any box office information, but I do know that it did get a wide release in the United States. So I'm going to go ahead and break down the plot of this movie, and Mr. Dick will feel free to chime in at any point. He watched this, I think, last well, week <laughs> under distressed viewing conditions. Yeah, I watched it last week. Yeah, it was it was Survivor Night, so I, I threw a curveball to my family, and they threw one back at me because uh, they were they usually chit chat a little bit during Survivor, and this movie didn't stop them. So it was uh, I can't take I might not be able to take credit for some of the hot takes because there were a lot of them being thrown out during my viewing that I might have uh, picked up. And uh, I might spew out as my own. So, so you were like um, the bully pulpit. You were that... the people's voice, <laughs> the common <laughs> first-time viewer. You have like four different uh, reactions all rolled into one. Yeah, I, I told them it was for this, and they uh, thought, "All right, let's go science mystery three thousand. <laughs> and I just, you know, you you had the subtitles. You had me taking notes. You had them giving me notes. The whole thing it is sung through, and it's all a, a continuous uh, song. <laughs> I don't know if saying your words in song <laughs> means it's a song, but you're telling me there's an album I need to listen to afterwards. So well, it was just, fun. I, the, you know the scariest part of this? What was that? It was Janice Films. Janice Films at the beginning is super worrisome because it's <laughs> such a highbrow, high-stakes movie that you're going to get into. I was like, ah, oh, dang it, Carter. Carter's picks are just going to go over our heads. I hope this <sighs> is an accessible movie. Well, I will relay the plot, which is very simple. It's a human story. We have part one, The Departure, set in November 1957, as Madal Emery and her beautiful 16-year-old daughter, Genevieve, 
played by Catherine Deneuve, have a tiny, struggling umbrella boutique in the coastal town of Cherbourg in Normandy, France. Go figure. <laughs> what a what a stretch. A shop that only sells umbrellas isn't doing well. Oh, man. So Guy, played by Nino Castelnuovo, is a handsome young auto mechanic uh, who lives and cares for his sickly aunt and godmother, Elise. Meanwhile, Madeline... <laughs> a quiet, Madeline helps out. <laughs> Madeline, a quiet young woman, going. looks after Guy's aunt and is secretly in love with Guy. You say Some you would say a little more homely than Guinevere. Genevieve. She's just a, Madeline, I, just a little bit more homely than Guinevere. And although Genevieve's mother is in the, the atmosphere, Madame Emery, mm-hmm. played by Anne Vernon, disapproves. Guy and Genevieve are deeply in love, and despite having only been on a few dates, they plan on marrying and talk about their future life together. I liked their dates. Yeah, the dates we, seem cute. We see them go to the opera, and then they go dancing, and they talk about their future. It seems pretty good. It doesn't seem like a bad I romance. <laughs> the dancing scene made, made me, that clued me in to uh, the dialogue is about singing and not actual dialogue. Because she goes, she's they're singing, and they're dancing, and she goes, you know... Do you love me? And then without his reply, she goes, look, there's a mambo. Let's join in. You know, that makes no sense. Uh, around the same time, Genevieve convinces her mother to sell some of her jewelry to help alleviate the family's financial difficulties. After being unable... Do you unable... know how much the taxes are? <laughs> I, this is like it was pre-internet. 800... Yeah, it was 800,000 francs. What's your guess in U.S. dollars today? Oh, I don't know. 20,000? Oh, it's like 185 bucks. <laughs> oh, is it really? They must have really yeah. cheap rent then. <laughs> yeah. It, well, yeah, they must have. It, they, she sold that... one pearl necklace and it was good to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she tries to sell it to the jeweler who can't afford it. In a really, really uh, catchy song, Roland Cassar, a young Parisian jeweler, steps in and says that he could easily sell Madame Emery's that... necklace. Yeah, but we already can tell that the mustachioed man has ulterior motive, okay? Well, He's, he says he, he, he travels to London, Antwerp, and he comes by the store, and he, and, you know, he's obviously asking about Genevieve. Which leads me to a question. Is Roland Cassar a creep? How old is Roland Cassar, do you think? I I don't know, but uh, she's 16. He's fully employed and well-embedded in his profession. Um, So maybe a little bit more. And he's got a mustache. So the creep level goes Roland number one and then Guy number two. Well... But, but that doesn't stop the mom at all. Oh, Madame Emery very much wants Genevieve to go with the the rich Roland Cassar. And at their next date, mm-hmm. as Roland Cassar is coming to the shop saying, hey, I got your money, which apparently is only $180. <laughs> I would have thought it would have been more. Uh, Guy well, tells... that explains why she was so... 
that was explained why she was so confident just leaving it with him at the store without getting a receipt or payment. Uh, you know, just a lot more, um, a lot more lax with security back in the day. Trusting. We're trusting. trusting. Yeah, exactly. Everyone trusted back in the day. Mm-hmm. But Guy delivers and the, the bombshell news. the reason why she trusted him. He is drafted to serve yeah. in the Algerian War. And the night before he leaves, in a very... This is, I think, my favorite song. We won't get too much into the music because it's tough. Hopefully I'll be able to embed some sound in here to give you an idea. Great song. Classic also, old-time moment. I had no idea they were different songs. I thought it was just continuous. <laughs> It's definitely different songs. It's not like the same melody every time. You can tell the difference, can't you? No, it's just them (laughs) sing-talking. I had no idea. This isn't like... I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between Hamilton songs, but uh, it was tough. I didn't know that they were separate songs. Where do you... you, I knew there were separate scenes because there was like... uh, time frame and you could say what well, the music the isn't completely constant it gets quiet and new music comes in yep. yeah but that's just because it's a different scene it's not like it's i don't know the scenes <laughs> the music's all the same it's not it's, it's all not funny. all the same and uh with repeated listening so you will come to appreciate each separate song individually uh but anyway Guy and Genevieve sleep together for the first time uh, the night before. I was pumped for this. <laughs> the night before he leaves. Unfortunately for Mr. Dick, it cuts to black pretty quickly. <laughs> Not much I thought this movie was about to be right up my alley because I thought there was going to be sex scenes and I thought there was going to be wars. And, you know, big letdown. No. Really, I, it set me up to let me down. Set the expectations too high. Part 2, The Absence, January 1958 to April 1958, which is not a really long time to think about uh, how quickly the situation changes from what I'm about to tell you. Uh, 
as Genevieve learns that she is pregnant from that one evening with Guy and writes to him, but his replies are sporadic. Yeah, because yeah, he's at war. <laughs> uh, her mother tells her to give up on Guy, telling her that he has forgotten her. And meanwhile, Genevieve is still being courted by the jeweler Roland Kassar. And he gives his life story about... to Madame Emery by doing a very catchy song. You couldn't tell that that was like a different song? No. I thought they were just... I thought the, I thought that this was the point where it was becoming that movie with uh, Rachel McAdams and um, ah, Ryan Gosling yeah. where... Sort of a similar yeah, that's where I thought I thought this was becoming the notebook and the mom was selling her off to the highest bidder. That's what I thought. I thought she was hiding all the letters and up to no good. Because at this point, the mom is basically the main character. She's the one that everything everyone's revolving around. The, uh, she's the center of the universe and she's making stuff happen with her 16-year-old daughter. Putting her on the market. Well, after he, she gets the life story from Roland Kassar, Genevieve gives up on... She was listening. She, before he gives the story, she, like, goes to her room and, like, listens for the wall. And is like, of course she's going to hear if you're singing, you know, loud as if you're on an opera stage. But anyway. Uh, Doesn't seem like a big apartment. <laughs> Genevieve gives up on Guy after not receiving any letters for months and decides that if Roland still wants to marry her, in spite of the pregnancy then he is honorable enough of a man to marry. And Roland insists that he will still marry her. What do you think about that decision? Um, I, you know, I, um, I think that he was an honorable man. There are no real dishonorable, devious characters in this movie. It's just okay? people trying to get it's by a, in Normandy. Yeah. Yeah, it's just life. Well, Genevieve life marries him troubles. in a sparsely attended service in what seems like a very big church. But she does I not appear to be happy into the about wedding. her decision. Which one was that? Oh, were they like walking it, together? It seemed like there were... It seemed like, yeah, there were several scenes where it cut... Um, where they'd be in one... Montage. Uh, one setting, but no, it'd be one setting in the... They are the characters actors are set up in the same postures and then it'll cut to a different ah. setting with them in the same posture is that yes. something you noticed oh yes yeah, yeah that is okay see i see <laughs> i see i see movies especially see this cinema. section of the movie is supposed to be like everything happens so quickly it's a whirlwind of emotion and decisions for oh i do remember the gee telling his life story uh-huh. was that when he was talking about the girl he used to love lola and it cut to yes. like uh, yeah lola. Ah, yes the yeah. the courtyard where it just cut sort to, of why and because uh it was like the inner of a mall and there was, was clearing no out was it a memory of his yeah it was a memory it's a significant just being location alone in a mall? that he identifies with this person. Yeah. Huh. It's, it, you know, it's visualizing the interior of Roland Kassar telling us you know, all of his feelings. Also a great scene during the section where the festival is happening behind them and they're in the shop and all this stuff's going on in the background. Did you like that part? Yep. Oh, yeah. I did. I wanted to go to that carnival party, but I understand <laughs> like why. What it, 
I'm just gonna call her Gwen because that's easier for me. That's what I wrote down. She's Gwen. I get understand it's a Frenchier name, but she's Gwen. What, whatever I refer to her. And he's Roland. Then and Guy is Guy. I can go French on that one. But Gwen, you know, I really liked when she came in and was like, "Oh, the carnival. I do not like it." But of course, she doesn't like it. She's pregnant. She can't partake. But she can still partake in one lone cigarette, which her mom oh, was yeah. kind enough to tell her to throw out. But she just tossed on the umbrella store floor <laughs> and just stepped up. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. she's in emotional distress. She's she's pregnant. First time having sex. The per- the father is away. She doesn't know if he's alive or dead. Her mother's pressuring her to marry Roland Kassar. You can understand her stress. She didn't really smoke the cigarette. She just sort of lit it. And it was like, eh, whatever, I'm not going to smoke it. Okay, that's your take. <laughs> I think she housed it in one big inhale. Just and a then giant she ash, it, it fell on the ash floor. on the floor of her mom's, yeah, of her mom's store. Le Parapluie de Cherbourg. Part three, The Return, March 1959. Oh, yeah. To December this was my favorite part. <laughs> this was more of the what Rich was looking for in terms of the war and the sex. As returning yeah. injured from the war, Guy learns that Genevieve has married and left Cherbourg for Paris, I feel like. They never really tell us where she goes, but if I somewhere guess, fancy. Somewhere very fancy. She ghosts him. Yes, but you know, pre-phones, pre-internet, you can understand how, you know, people drift apart. Yeah, it's not ghosting, it's just drifting apart back then, I guess. (laughs) Is that what you're saying? Fading away from one's life. (laughs) Back then, if someone lived 10 miles away, you wouldn't see him for 20 years, you know? Yeah, we're just sensitive. (laughs) We're sensitive with our generation Uh now. So, Guy has... (laughs) I like this. I like this. He goes on a real spiral. He has, real he has difficulty spiral. readjusting to civilian life after an argument yeah. with his boss about uh, some very Is trivial this one day? matter. This all happens in one day? Yes. Uh, you think it all... At it's least an amazing this first day. part happens it's in like, one day. Yeah. He gets an argument with his boss. He quits his job. He goes to a seedy bar and just repeatedly orders individual glasses of white, white wine. <laughs> Yeah, party. What a party animal. And then he spends the and night with a prostitute. A bar. Yeah. And he calls Ooh, the prostitute Genevieve in a very, very sad moment. No, I thought she was like the prostitute goes by Genie and she goes, Oh, we've done the deed. You know me. What you Did he pay her? But yeah, he yeah. paid her. Well, he knew was, that, that that's that like, out, I, he, he must have like her. said her name subconsciously and is like, Oh, you can call me this. It's like, Ooh, that's very seedy. Oh, I thought it was her actual real name, and he had the misfortune of sleeping with a prostitute with the name of his ex-girlfriend. That would have been very misfortunate. <laughs> but he returns home to his apartment, and Madeleine tells him that his aunt Elise has died. Yeah. Yeah, that's a real... You know, the aunt was holding out the entire movie, so I kind of put three and three together and thought, these, this is... Another bad thing's coming. <laughs> it was enough of a bad thing for him to reform his life as he sees that Madeleine Excuse definitely has Madeline. the hots for him. And 
just decides, you know what, I'm gonna just go ahead and marry her and rebuilds his life with her help. Using the inheritance from his yeah. aunt, he opens a new American-style gas station, which appears to be successful. And his stipend from the war. Ah, yes, exactly. Apparently they have a very Inherit good yep. veteran's stipend program in France at this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, and he opens up that gas station and he's set up. Mm -hmm. He's good to go. Madeline agrees to marry him. Life. She seems to not really believe that he loves her but is really fine with it mm. anyway. She didn't seem to have too many other prospects and was sort of just holding out for Guy the whole time. Would you feel like? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I As soon as he went off the war, I knew that she was going to glow up hard and then uh, he'd have to fall back on on Madeline. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is all telegraphed. Uh-huh. Four years later, on a snowy Christmas Eve... Guy and Madeleine are in their office of their gas station with their small son, Francois, which is the name that Genevieve and Guy said they would have named their son when they were having one of their very fun-looking dates <laughs> that uh, we were referring to earlier. Oh. It's snowing. Madeleine is decorating a Christmas tree. They appear to be a happy family, if not, you know, all the material yeah. things <laughs> that Genevieve's family has. And as uh, Madeleine and the child, Francois... Costumes leave to visit Santa Claus. An yeah. expensive car pulls in. Guy approaches the window to see that the fur-clad driver is, in fact, Genevieve, who is now an upper-class woman. And she has a young girl with her. Who's also named Francois. <laughs> Francois with an E at the end to make it a girl's name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's weird. <laughs> that's like that... Who's that... Who's that uh defensive back that named all his kids the same name well i know uh george foreman did that with all of his sons are you saying uh, so, yeah it's like george foreman <laughs> yeah it's they're, like they're all be Francois. <laughs> but it's not like he had to deal with it i guess he wasn't paying child support or doing anything you know well it's not like he needed so he to didn't have, didn't have to know the name for a long Kassar. I thought that uh, Gwen really she was 16 when the movie started, and you know four years passed, but somehow at the end of the film she is a 40 year old woman. Um, in the I think it, she, who just the time is doesn't like care 21. about her child. Yeah, but she looked like she was she was dressed like a 40 year old. Well, she had the whole updo and everything. She looked very fancy. Very fancy. M much better than Madeline. Her end of movie haircut I wasn't a fan of. Looked like someone put a bowl over her head. I didn't think it was great. Well, she was but doing the headband stuff the whole movie before that, better. Madeline. Yeah. There's a lot of style in this movie. That's what stuck out the most to me. Oh, the yeah. style. <laughs> the saturated color. It's all very bold, beautiful colors. Very, A lot of primary colors. A lot of yellows. I really, I mean, yeah. Well, anyway, I yeah, we, yeah, all yeah, of we the, haven't gotten to the end of the movie. Of Guy invites Genevieve into the warmth oh. of the station's office where they chat as a boy attends to Genevieve's car, uh, who's a real mouthy attendant. I and they leave the child in the car with the windows open in the snow. Well, you know, it's French. Just, uh, it's just what people did in the 60s. But this is Genevieve's first time yeah, in Cherbourg but, since her marriage, she tells Guy. 
and reveals that her mother, Madame Emery, who really fades from the movie after being in it for a lot for the first 40 minutes, reveals that she has died. And looking outside at the girl in the car, Guy asks, What did you name her? Genevieve answers, Francois. And she's a lot like, You? Do you want to see her? Guy says no. Doesn't see his child. He has the new Francois that he apparently is satisfied with. The car is ready at the door. Genevieve pauses to ask, Are you doing well? Guy says, Yes, very well. They're all singing this mine. And she opens the door, looking back one last time, walks to the car, gets in, drives off. Madeleine returns with Francois, and Guy greets her with a kiss as the camera pulls back. He frolics in the snow with his son, seemingly happy, drifting apart. It seems like Guy ended up with the better situation. Yeah. I think so. So your reaction, first viewing, general Mr. Dick reaction. My reaction? Mm-hmm. Um, my only real takeaway was that this movie has awesome wallpaper in every scene. I think the wallpaper is the real star of this movie. Every single scene. Great wallpaper. Um... <laughs> Not Catherine Deneuve, big winner. If you've lived, which who is it? C- Catherine Deneuve, the director. The star. You know, I, I think was this she the first was, movie of uh, her that you had seen? Was it her first movie? It was actually her first movie, but is this the first one that you have seen with her in? Yeah, my dad knew who she was. My yes. dad was pretty pleased to see her on the <laughs> cast list. Very famous 20th century but actress. I... Unfortunately, okay. had some health troubles recently. She is still with us. Looks quite different than she really? did in 1964, if you could imagine. So is she Jane Fonda's age? Is that what's going on? Uh, Yeah, pretty much. Jane Fonda has kept herself together much better than Catherine Deneuve has. Yeah, and she's f- fighting for climate change, so keep rocking, <laughs> Jane Fonda. Catherine Deneuve is denouncing the Me Too movement. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on in France. We won't get to it in this particular episode. Maybe a, a dick's fix down the road. We'll talk about the, the current climate of sexual harassment in France. Dick's picks politics? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> if if you have no further I, you know, reactions... I, th- we I can... think that the my... Oh, you keep going. I think that this movie, if you've lived long enough to listen to this podcast, you've probably experienced all the emotions that Guy and Genevieve uh, experienced, and they're not pleasant. So I don't recommend watching this movie to relive those feelings, but uh, just speed through and stop in each scene and take notes on the wallpaper, and maybe you can decorate your house nicely down the road. It is a it is a beautiful human story, beautifully told. I don't agree with what he says at all. There are good, happy moments in the film. Beautiful? Oh, my goodness, yes. And more than anything... Happy moments? It is a fantastic installment in the wonderful tradition of movie musicals. The musical is a oh, genre of film, along with the Western, one of the two most important genres in the history of American film. The movie musical emerged from the state musicals of the 19th century with the introduction of film sound technology in the 1920s. Mr. Day, can you tell me when the first talkie 
was released in the United States. Talking movie? Like, yes. What do you mean? Uh, theatrical Not motion singing, picture. Just actual talking dialogue. Release with a soundtrack that occurred simultaneously with the visual track of a motion picture. Was it before or after this one? It was. It was about forty years before, in 1927. You, it, you know what, Mr. Dick? The first talky motion picture Wizard of Oz? was a musical, The Jazz Singer, starring Al Jolson. Jazz Singer. <laughs> okay. This movie included both diegetic and non-diegetic musical numbers. To clarify. Diegetic sound is, that Scientology? is sound that occurs within the world of the film. For example, sound playing from a car radio while a character is driving. All of the singing and the umbrellas of Sherbourg is diegetic sound. While non-diegetic sound is sound that is present on the soundtrack and therefore only audible to the audience. For example, film scores. How about that? Yeah. So Wait, so you're saying that this movie has no film score, but you're trying to tell me there's different songs? Well, for the people to... We'll get into, in a minute, how this differs from different movie musicals and its treatment of the singing as diegetic sound. But if you were a character in the film, the singing is something you would hear because every character is doing it to each other. I suppose the swelling musical score is something a character in the film would not hear, in the only the audience would, but maybe they're hearing it in their own heads because they've experienced some sort of overflow of emotional experience that makes the music match the tenor of what they are experiencing. So it's sort of like that one episode of Scrubs where they all where that one guy has a, a stroke. <laughs> it is and quite he similar to that. Everything in his musical. <laughs> is that what you're saying? That is what I'm saying. Okay. Anyway, I like it. Musical films quickly gained popularity as more and more cinemas began to introduce sound technology into theaters. Uh, just think of how many songs are in Disney movies, especially the early ones. They are all basically musicals. More I just or less. watched Frozen last night, so I know all about it. <laughs> the first golden age of the musical. Disney Plus. Oh, there you go. That has a whole lot of these sort of stuff in it, especially. Well, yeah, Disney made a lot of musicals. Yeah. But the first golden age of the movie musicals cool. occurs in the early 1930s with the productions by Busby Berkeley, including 42nd Street and Gold Diggers of 1933. If you have not seen these, I recommend them. They're very much of a time, but they are pretty good watching even today. It, Most of them are very short. They're only like 80 minutes. Would I like Gold Diggers? You, I think you'd like Gold Diggers. I think you'd I like 42nd like... Street, too. It's actually a very smart movie. But okay. when someone does like a spoof of a 30s musical, thinking like the end of Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles, this is very much the look mm -hmm. that they are going for. Mm -hmm. These musicals made way for the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers musicals, which highlighted the personas and abilities of the two stars. Star-studded musicals, you go to see a Fred Astaire movie, not even really caring what the movie is about, you go to see Fred Astaire. But by the 1950s, the movie musical had reached its peak with the Arthur Freed production unit at Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Studios. 
MGM, <laughs> very important movie studio. In opposition to the Berkeley musicals of the 30s, which were often backstage musicals, in which the musical numbers were performed on stage as part of the show, very much separated from the entanglements of the lives of the characters, the freed MGM musicals were integrated musicals, <laughs> meaning that the characters singing emerged spontaneously and naturally as an overflow of emotion manifesting itself in song. Very much like the Scrubs episode you described earlier. Yeah, or Frozen. They all just, it's emotional. They can't withhold their emotions anymore and they have to let it go, I guess, as they say. Ooh, look at you. The Arthur Freed musicals. It was, it was last night. It's fresh. <laughs> were notable for their high quality of production, cinematography, and choreography. Some examples include Meet Me in St. Louis, 1944, On the Town, 1949, An American in Paris, 1951, and Singing in the Rain, 1952. Have you seen any of these? Singing in the Rain, I've seen. That is a good reference point for that. what they're trying to go for in Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and more especially, the follow-up movie, The Young Girls of Rochefort, also starring Catherine Deneuve, released in 1967, which even has a cameo from Gene Kelly. Or not more than a cameo, it's like a small supporting Same role. Same character or different character? Different character. Is she Guinevere again? <laughs> Same universe, okay. I think, though. Alright. I guess that's possible. Freed musicals, though, that's a... were not the only Hollywood musicals oh, of the era, as it became common for successful Broadway productions to be adapted to the screen, including Oklahoma, with an exclamation point in 1955. I've seen that. And The King and I in 1956. Do you think they... All these started out as, like, plays, right? Well, those two, the so, MGM musicals did not. There was not a play version of Singing in the Rain. That is an original movie motion picture. Was it just me, or there were there very few cuts in this Umbrellas of Sherbourg? <laughs> no, and there are very few to... cuts. Which is a nice contrast so to the So they're Hollywood like long musicals. scenes, which are kind of cool. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But the movie musical reached yeah, its peak in cool terms of scenes. critical and box office success in the 1960s with increasingly larger and more prestigious productions, including West Side Story, 1961, My Fair Lady, 1964, the year Umbrellas of Cherbourg was released, The Sound of Music, 1965, which won Best Picture, and Oliver in 1968, which also won Best Picture. But by the 1970s, the popularity had waned in today. Please, sir, may I have some more? <laughs> That's exactly right. The genre barely exists at all outside of uh, thinking of Disney movies as musicals. Not exactly popular these days. Although next year, Steven Spielberg is coming out with a new version of West Side Story. Do you think that that's going to do well? No, didn't they just do a live version? They do like a a live musical every year on NBC or something. I think they did that, and it maybe because it's Spielberg, it'll do better, but probably not. I thought the Grease one. They Why did do they live remake everything? Was actually pretty good. Well, apparently, it's gonna like introduce like guns and heroin and stuff like that. Because they said that <laughs> when it was made in 1961, they couldn't get the grittiness of life in New York City. So maybe this is gonna be like a super hardcore West Side Story. A gritty West Side Story musical? <laughs> Those things don't fit together for me. I don't know. I haven't seen Rent, but maybe it's like Rent. 
So is rent gritty? <laughs> rent is definitely real. I think someone dies from AIDS in it. I don't know how gritty it is. I hear Stomp is quite gritty. Oh, uh, that. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know. All I know is they just uh, bang trash cans together. <laughs> I've seen it. It's coming back. I've seen lots of ads for it. Maybe I'll see it. So more on the musical genre, specifically theory on the musical genre, to get a little more <laughs> snobby about this whole thing. Thomas Schatz proposes that there are two distinct types of genres. Genres of order and genres of integration. How about that? The purpose of both genres is to negotiate some form of threat to the social order, but the two genres are distinguished by their settings and conflicts and the manner in which they negotiate those threats. Genres of order include westerns, detective movies, gangster movies, and war films, and are characterized by conflicts that are indigenous to the environment, and they reflect the physical and ideological struggle for the environment's control, manifesting itself as is this all within the musical conflict. genre? Well, I will get to it here. In these is... genres, the conflicts okay. are animated and resolved generally by an individual male hero. Think of the John Wayne or Clint Eastwood type who comes into a contested space and asserts authority and order to a previously <laughs> unkempt and violent landscape. In genres of integration... Yeah which include musicals, comedies, and family melodramas, the conflict is not indigenous to the locale and manifested through physical confrontation. Instead, these genres incorporate a civilized, ideologically stable milieu, how about milieu, where conflicts derive not from a struggle over control of the environment, but rather from the struggle of the principal characters to bring their own views in line either with one another's or, more often, in line with the views of the larger community. I, this, this is all going way over my head. <laughs> all I know is that there, were no, there was no antagonist, antagonist in this movie aside from the war. Uh, exactly. It is pregnancy. the society which but, is you know, bringing that's... itself into this relationship between the two heroes. And they must negotiate how they exist within the society. Genres of integration, or as Tom Schatz terms them, genres of indeterminate space, to get even more theoretical, generally involve a doubled hero in the guise of a romantic couple who inhabit a civilized setting and whose courtship is complicated and, in most cases, eventually ideologically resolved. These genres rely upon a progression from romantic antagonism to eventual embrace, and the kiss or embrace at the end signals the integration of the couple into the larger community. Are you already starting to see the ways of the umbrella mean, of Schubert? What do you mean by romantic antagonism? Romantic antagonism in the form of Umbrellas of Chambord, this comes in the form of the draft notice from the French government where the ideals of the society including colonialism and war, interrupt the romantic union between Guy and Genevieve. So, Umbrellas of Chibori oh, presents a so slightly you don't mean different... Like inter interpersonal antagonism. No, so it's not that like would be a genre of order. They meet each other, they hate each other. Yes, exactly. And then they feel, realize that their hate is actually love. So, for example, The Notebook Rich. 
there is no uh -huh. physically manifested antagonist. If you were to say there is one, it is the mother who represents the ideals of society in which someone Bingo. like Rachel McAdams cannot marry below her class. And the union between the mm -hmm. two signifies a progression and the uh, ideal, ideolo ideology, let's get it spit it out there, of America and specifically the American South and South Carolina. But to quote shots, oh, okay. a musical setting may be a South Pacific island or the backstage of a Broadway theater, but we relate to the film immediately by its treatment of certain sexual and occupational conflicts and also by our familiarity with the type of characters played by its stars. Thus, it is not the musical numbers which identify these films as musicals. What? How does that relate that's, to what you said earlier? That, who who made that statement? <laughs> Thomas Schatz. That's a terrible statement. You don't understand it's that? The, not the music that... No, no I don't understand that. It's the romantic courtship signifying the negotiation of two different ideologies, negotiating how they exist within a community and resolve itself to move forward as a unified and ultimately peaceful and prosperous community. Sure, but that's not a musical unless they're singing. Well, yes. <laughs> but in terms of genre, it's... <laughs> I... So you disagree with Thomas Johnson's thesis? Yeah, there needs to be singing for it to be a musical. It can't just have romantic themes and romantic antagonism and an atmosphere of dairy or whatever the heck else you were talking about. That's craziness. So, another brief lesson. Get him out of here. The French New Wave. Are you familiar with this term, Mr. Dick? Uh, is that like... Um... What's the French New Wave? Is that uh, when everyone was wearing bowl cuts and listening to... Uh, no, I don't. Is that Les Miserables? What's that? You, I think you're thinking of like the late 70s New Wave in music. The French New Wave in terms of cinema. Mm. The New Wave is a term coined in France to describe the sudden appearance of brilliant and challenging films by upstart directors in the late 1950s, early 1960s. The new wave primarily consisted of two groups of directors, the critics-turned-directors who wrote for the famed Cahier du Cinema magazine, which included Claude Chevrolet, Jean-Luc Godard, Jacques Rivette, Eric Romer, and Francois Truffaut, and the left-bank group of Chris Marker, Alain René, and Agnes Varda, who had gone directly into filmmaking. They were not critics-turned-filmmakers. Uh, new Wave filmmakers set out to make films that were their own reference points. Each film took a new approach to its subjects and wanted to be radically different from the cinema that came before. Visually, these films looked much different than anything produced in Hollywood, as through the use of shooting on real locations instead of sound stages, they were given a realism and vitality that was rare to studio films. Uh, more so than that, they used, generally, the look of a French New Wave film can be completely variable. 
It is more about the time it was made and the enthusiasm and mindset in which it was made than how it looks. But a new sort of visual and editing style was introduced with French New Wave Cinema. These directors were committed to expanding the boundaries of filmmaking. Uh, in France, the f new wave kicked off with the release of Francois Truffaut's debut film, The 400 Blows, at the 1959 Cannes Film Festival. The same year, Alain René made Hiroshima Mon Amour, and in 1960, Jean-Luc Godard released his debut feature film, Breathless. Jacques Demy, the director of The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, was a member of the Left Bank Group, and indeed, he was <laughs> married to Agnes Varda, who was one of the more important left bank filmmakers, and he made his mark on the new wave starting with his Lola in 1961, which is described as a musical without Ooh. music. And to tie it into the umbrellas of Cherbourg, Lola is actually, <laughs> the plot of the movie is the song that Roland Cassard tells to Madame Emery in that dinner that they have uh, <laughs> to tie it back into the umbrellas of Cherbourg. So, with all of this new information, does it make you think of the Umbrellas of Cherbourg in any sort of different light than before? Nope. <laughs> this, uh, I, you said that the those movies were supposed to be challenging to um, establish. Well, the they didn't really of feel cinema. challenged by it. Well, how, for example, does the Umbrellas of Cherbourg so, differ? That doesn't mean from a movie musical like Singing in the Rain. I will give you one example off the top. The romantic couple presented at the beginning of the film does not, in fact, end up together at the end of it. So? <laughs> they end up, they still end up happily ever after. Do you think GWF seems very happy? Sure. They, I don't know. We only spent like two acts with each of them. There More than that, I didn't think most that this of these was... films do not include the song th through dialogue throughout, which the Umbrellas of Cherbourg does. But in no. many ways, you're right; it is not too different from a traditional Hollywood musical. As Jacques Demy was not one of the more radical of the new wave filmmakers, someone like Jean Luc Godard. Uh, <laughs> if you were to watch one of films, no, films would be it, quite different. It wasn't. I thought some of the. I didn't think. I thought that. You know, he had some cool shots where he moved in, and I liked this—the whole date where they were on the dolly. That was a cool sort of section of the movie. But other than that, I feel like the story was—I um, didn't really care enough about any of them to worry about the troubles they were going through. And maybe that's because it was so quickly. It, it pushed forward so quickly throughout the movie. So I didn't really feel like Guy or, or Guinevere, you know, I didn't really feel, I was just kind of like high level Eagle's eye. Okay. I guess they're going, I guess she's pregnant. She had sex. Congrats. You're pregnant. Okay. He's off to war. He got shot in the butt. He got out early. Awesome. Well, I guess his aunts died. She said she was going to live long enough to see him return and then die. It just, it, it didn't seem, um, I don't know. It didn't seem like all the characters were what they were at face value. So 
that wouldn't be a way to because they were what they appeared there was no confusion and from then on that point uh-huh. and going from there it all kind of flowed down where it it didn't feel it didn't feel like too much for me to to handle maybe it was in 1964 but i'm advanced i'm a future man well so you interacted with it in terms of a story more than as an interactive musical experience i'm feeling yes for sure <laughs> i think that it's it's difficult to separate the music with uh, what you're seeing i think you're very correct in saying that the characters themselves are somewhat flat and there is not too much of an arc of character development throughout the film mm-hmm. but i think that that is uh the actions of the dialogue do not reflect the total emotional experience the characters undergo in the film and that the musical is a somewhat vital part of uh their emotional experience and i hope to include at least a little i'm just bit. not a musical guy <laughs> i could see i wish i were you wish you I were. I wish I were. Like I've I've seen, th- I've seen things. Uh, you know, I fell asleep during Book of Mormon. I was really disappointed in myself. I fell asleep during School of Rock. I was really disappointed <laughs> in myself. So do you think the School of Rock I've is a musical? We can get into a, a questionnaire about it because you seem to not believe that this is a musical. Uh, from what you said at the beginning of our discussion, do you think it is a musical? Now or does your no? I just think they. For you, it is a movie with music in it. My opinion remains on. Yeah, it's a movie where they sing instead of speak like human beings. Defines what a musical is. Um. uh, I don't know. That's a very deep question. But this, when I watched it, I think the definition of emotion manifesting itself as song is somewhat pretty good definition. I think that this movie fits it pretty well. Except that every part of the dialogue is in song, so there's no Because they're at such a heightened part in their lives. The emotions. Genevieve is in love for the first time in the first act, and the second she's pregnant and mourning the absence of her lover while being pressured by her mom that she needs to marry this Roland Cassard guy. And then Guy comes back, and he can't adjust to civilian life, and his aunt dies, and then he's like, well, I guess I need to marry this girl. It was a pretty quick turn for her mom at first saying no to Guy, and then being like, okay, you're 16 and a half now, I want you to marry this older guy. She did at least... try and see if she at least like made him tell her his life story first i do think maybe they'll remake this movie with lady gaga as the mom i thought the mom kind of looked like lady gaga you think so i don't know do i am roland i I have a mustache i want to marry your daughter yeah yeah, make Bradley Cooper be that character. You think so? I was wor- I thought, I thought the mom was gonna steal Roland at some point too. Ooh, the mom wants Roland Casar. <laughs> yeah, I thought that's like the conflict. I, I didn't know who she was going for. If she was gonna be like I mean, stealing she the did guy, seem quite because I knew that the mom Catherine saw him as a breadwinner. Yeah, 
it seemed like uh, Roland Kassar was sort of taking on like the whole package of supporting the mother and daughter both. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Anyway, I've got some notes here to finish off. A couple quotes. Uh, the jazz elements of the music did that hold up for you? It seems like you didn't notice the music too much. No, did not did not notice. Uh, they were just singing in different locations. I'm telling you, Carter, <laughs> the only thing I noticed was the wallpaper. I want that wallpaper. Specifically, the green and pink striped wallpaper. Mm-hmm. I want to get a in, room with that. In it the store, the Parapluie de Cherbourg. Uh, Genevieve with, I gotta call my I think, an designer. all-time French quote. Maybe the most French thing ever uttered. Maybe happiness makes me sad. Is that not a very French thing to say? Get out of here with that. It's very French. Super ennui. (laughs) That like defines ennui. So before like you were saying how she's like dancing and singing and like, oh, let's go over here. I thought of a sort of funny moment is when the mom is talking about selling the jewels and walks by a mirror and sings aloud. Should I get a new hairstyle? And then it's like on that for the next 30 seconds. It was. Yeah, I just thought this was like stream of conscious singing. I didn't think it was like, um, I I don't know. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew they were singing and they were saying exactly what popped into their head at that moment. Uh, The fireplace in (sighs) Guy's bedroom, something you don't see too often, a fireplace in the bedroom. Yeah, pretty cool. His bedroom is probably the least well decorated. I would have rather spend time in the auto mechanic changing room. That was a cool room. No, that was a cool room. Uh, a weird thing. Remember when they were having dinner with Roland Gassard and they have this conversation about the bean that is in their food, and Genevieve finds it and must declare Roland her king, and he puts a paper crown on her. That was pretty yeah. weird. That was some weird French stuff going I on. I thought it no. I thought that was a was that um, a king cake baby. Was that Mardi Gras? Yeah, I thought that was the like the king cake baby. Uh, yeah, instead of having the little plastic babies, they used to do the bean. beans. Ah, that was. I was like, "What's the yeah. bean about?" That was um. That was she looks directly into the camera a few times. Is that the yes. first one? No, and that's probably like the third time. That's to like show a real sort of third emotional time. crisis she's undergoing. Where we get the direct sort of address mm. confrontation her to the audience. It's yeah. a real striking visually movie. Did you not find it that way? Yeah, I like the visuals. I like the the movement of the camera. I think it was appealing in that manner. I think if you were to listen to the music again, you would uh, regain some appreciation for it. Michel Legrand, the guy who came up with the music, won an Oscar actually in 1967 or 68. I think the pro. I'm sure, but the issue will always be the language barrier, because I got, I'll be able to, music in a different and I'm language? also not a musician, so I do. But you don't like if it's Daddy Yankee, this, if it's like this, where it's a part of the movie, Jay Balvin. Of course, I loved. I love, yeah, the Pitbull. I love all those guys. <laughs> I love Despacito. Despacito. You know, uh, yeah, but like when you present it in a movie where there's dialogue to move the characters forward, I can 
I'm focused on the dialogue and not the musical composition that you are saying I missed. But, you know, if you want want me to pay attention, get don't something make in English. Yeah, speak English. No, no, no. Have you seen La La Land? Have you? What? Have you seen La La Land? Damien Chazelle movie musical released 2016. Oh, you haven't? No. If you were to see it now, you would very much see the influence, especially on the visuals of this movie on La La Land. Uh, That is a recommendation from me because I'm very much a supporter of that movie, despite the slander that it takes from uh, many a people. Uh, not sure what we'll be back with liked it too, so. next month for Dick's Picks. I know you are proposing Waterworld, which would that be in oh, the spirit no. of think... the Dick's Picks? Because you haven't seen it before. No, I haven't seen it. I think we e- stick with either. I think Soldier. You know, Sky High. Or Soldier. Soldier's an amazing movie. <laughs> I think Soldier, Soldier would be so pretty good. good. Kurt Russell. Yeah, that's a great movie. And we can... You know, you can... We can go back and uh, go in on these good movies. The dick pics movies. Instead of these old Hollywood musicals. Well, this was not a Hollywood musical. This was a French New Wave musical that was made in tribute and... Yeah. In a sort of commentary on Hollywood musicals. I will say that Carter's picks are far more informative and historical than uh, Dick's picks thus far. I'm sure we can dig up I've some, learned a lot. some genre theory on Soldier come December. Anyway, yeah, hap- hap- like happy Thanksgiving. There's... You gonna enjoy your Thanksgiving week here? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I'm gonna eat a lot of turkey. How about you? I think we're going to have ham. That seems um, like watching American. a French New Wave movie. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, we'll end on that contrarian, un-American note because this has been an un-American sort of episode. <laughs> thank you for listening. Yeah. And thank you, thank Mr. You. Je ne viens, je ne veux pas que cela vous cause la moindre peine. Je vous aime, je ne viens, je vous aime. accepte puisque la situation dans laquelle elle se trouve ne vous effraie pas mais ne la brusquez pas elle est si fragile que le moindre faux pas risquerait de tout compromettre <rire>